Hi, you're listening to the BDO Financial Wellness Podcast, and I'm your host, Tara Bellio, and we have another great episode in store for you. This is actually the second part of what turned out to be a fantastic discussion with David Naranya and Jeff Lewis. David and Jeff are licensed insolvency trustees with BDO Debt Solutions, and they hear many misconceptions about debt and debt solutions when they meet with clients for the first time. In part one of our 10 Debt Myths Debunked series, David and Jeff set the record straight about myths one through five. Let's hear what they have to say about the next five common debt myths. You might be surprised to learn the fact behind the fiction. David, next myth is yours. If I file a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, my credit will be ruined forever. Okay, I think the operative two words there is ruined forever, because that is the myth, because it isn't ruined forever, but a lot depends on what you do once you emerge from that insolvency process. You know, Jeff and I have been doing this long enough to know that whoever files a bankruptcy or proposal, they do the right things once their debt is taken care of, they're going to be easily able to rebuild their credit. And they're going to be able to borrow money. I've had people that go bankrupt and within, you know, several years of their discharge, because they've done the right things, they're able to qualify for a mortgage. So we get that all the time. I'm never, ever going to be buy a house if I go bankrupt. I'm never, ever going to be able, you know, to borrow money because my credit is going to be negative. No, never is a long time. While you're in the process, absolutely, it's going to be really difficult. And I would argue, while you're in it, you probably shouldn't have credit anyways, because we've got to fix those other things first before you get to that stage, right? So, you know, baby steps before (laughs) you start walking, before you start running. So, yes, it is something to keep in the back of your mind. And it's a question we get all the time. I don't want to do this because it's going to wreck my credit. Well, even if you had good credit now, Because of your debt load and depending on your level of income to your expenses, you probably wouldn't even qualify for, you know, a simple line of credit because all of your other metrics are wrong. So people say, you know, my credit score is really great right now. Yeah, but you've got $100,000 worth of debt. You only make so much. You're spending $1,000 more than you're making every month. Nobody's going to lend you money anyways, even though you might have a great credit score. So what are we actually looking at here? I'm just going to jut in. Jot in here quickly, David. So, you know, it is a little bit of a myth, um, Tara, that, you know, a credit score is not a measure of financial health, and people think it is, right? A credit score is a measure of, you know, your ability to get credit. So, you know, the reality is you can be struggling financially, but have a great credit score because you're just turning over your credit all the time, right? You know, and then you could meet someone with, you know, who doesn't really need to rely on credit, who's got money in the bank, has zero credit score, because they pay cash for everything and don't need to use credit. So, you know, when I see people and they say, well, I need to get my credit score back, you have to say to them, why do you need, do you really need to borrow money again? Right? You know, if you're a certain age and maybe you're retired and retired people do file for bankruptcy, um, they're not going to buy a house and then they stop driving, um, they may not need to get a credit score. So we say to them, well, you know, budget, learn to live on your income. But again, if you're a young person and you've got many years to go through life and you want to buy assets, yeah, absolutely. You need to get yourself a decent credit score. So you have access to those, you know, really good rates of credit that are available now. Mm-hmm. And so also, too, I've like I've heard um, some of our LITs say, you know, the reality is your credit may already be damaged before filing. So, you know, what can they do to kind of 
bring it back after a filing? Like what, what are the steps there? Well, the first step is you got to take care of your current debt, right? That's the first step. But once you get to that stage, then you need to then start getting positive uh, marks or pings or hits or whatever you want to call it on your credit score. Uh, the easiest way is to go out there and get what's called a secure credit card and then use it properly, right? So maybe you go out once a week and buy gas and then you put your credit card away. You don't use it again. Then when you get your bill, you pay it off in full, not minimum payment, not part of the payment, you pay it off in full and you repeat that process as you go along. Now, the other thing to remember is, and Jeff alluded to this, while you're in a proposal or a bankruptcy, if you have a car payment that you've been maintaining, that's gonna help your score as well too because that's being reported on your credit report. And if you are a renter, because most of them are, in a lot of cases, you can get a positive um, letter or referral or reference from your landlord who says, yes, this person's been a model tenant, they've met, never missed a payment. So there are those things that you can do. Now, not one of them alone is going to solve your problem. Not and all of them together will eventually do that because a lot of people think that you can snap your fingers, do all the right things in the span of three or four months and improve your credit score dramatically. It doesn't happen that fast. It takes a little bit of time, but it can be done. But you have to do those right things, create those positive experiences so that whatever's being reported to the credit agency is being noted properly because credit agencies are simply recording stations. They take the information in. So what the information that you want people or the creditors to be giving them is positive information. So, yeah, and that's absolutely right, David. And, you know, you've got to remember that um, credit agencies are their private enterprise. So they report the information that they're given. Um, one, one thing I would say is, um, you know, credit is such a big area, credit agencies and credit reporting. We could talk for another hour. Just on that one subject, maybe mm -hmm. it's another idea for another podcast. But you know, um, <laughs> you know, but you know, remember, if you see your first bankruptcy in Canada, and hopefully it would be, um, then it's only nine months. It's a fairly really quick bankruptcy. So after nine months, you're debt free, and you can bounce from that, start to bounce back from that fairly quickly. And if you file a proposal, which a lot of people do now, then you know, while even whilst you're in the proposal, you can start to build your credit up during the proposal period. So lots of things you can do. Um, and again, you know, it's such a difficult and complex area. Again, talk to a licensed insolvency trustee such as BDO and get some really good advice before you decide which action you want to take. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so thank you both for that. That was really good. And you're right. I, we, we've done one credit, credit podcast and there's still so much more. We haven't even scratched the surface of credit. Um, so I'm going to do number seven with you, David. Um, okay. I will not be able to renew my mortgage if I file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Again, another myth, because it happens all the time when people are uh, in an existing mortgage. Um, they're worried because they won't be able to renew it with whoever it is their lender is. Typically, what happens in that situation is when it comes time up for renewal, you just go through the normal renewal process. Because remember, lending by those institutions is such a competitive business, they don't necessarily want to lose your business. Because when they lend you, especially on a mortgage, they're clearly charging you interest. And as long as you make those payments on that mortgage, they're going to be making money off of you. 
So if they don't renew that mortgage with you, chances are you're probably going to go somewhere else. And especially with housing prices the way they are now, you know, it's not going to be really that difficult to have that mortgage on that place. In fact, we have a lot of people coming in going, how do I get out of my existing mortgage right now? Because I'm locked into a bad rate. I want to get a better rate. So the competition for mortgages is extremely drastic. What you might lose the ability to do is negotiate a, a different rate. Because typically what happens is, and this has been my experience, is that when times for, for you to renew your mortgage, all the forms are sent to you. You check off the right boxes, sign here, send it back, and boom, the mortgage is automatically renewed. Now, if you want to, you know, play hardball with your lender and say, you know, I don't want to pay and I can't imagine how much lower you can get these days. It's, you know, it's maybe pretty when good, mortgages, actually. you know, were 12% and you wanted to get it down to eight or it was five and you wanted to get it down to three, maybe you could, you know, play one mortgage lender off on another. But now I think what mortgage rates are down to, what is it? 1.8 yeah, or roughly around 2.2 or something silly like that. So you know, there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room with respect to that. So I've almost never and i can't say it has never happened because that would not be a correct statement but it doesn't happen a lot and i haven't seen it happen at least not to any of the individuals we've assisted with in a very 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 long time yeah i just um also there's another flaw in the ointment with this because very often people that have mortgages with their banks also have loans and credit cards with their banks as well so if they're going to file a proposal or a bank or generally a proposal with a got a mortgage um, some of the concern is, well, would they withdraw my mortgage? Another myth, right? Once, um, once I file for my proposal, um, I've seen it very occasionally try to happen. Um, the law does protect you as well. So the Insolvency Act uh, does not allow a lender to withdraw mortgage facilities just because you file a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, matter of fact. Um, and um, and most lenders are aware of that. So if that's something that people are afraid of. You don't need to be. That's really good to know. Yeah, and that extends to car financing as well. So it's all, almost along the similar vein because those lenders are secured on a specific asset. So a mortgage is secured on your house. Car financing, whether it be a lease or a finance, is secured on the vehicle. Because the other times people go, I'm going to not be able to keep my finance vehicle when I file a bankruptcy or proposal. And I think Jeff touched upon it briefly at the beginning of this podcast is, no, as long as you make that payment and you haven't had a bad history with them, you know, defaulting and falling back and then having to get caught up and all that sort of stuff, you should be fine. So, you know, you're not going to lose your finance car if you've always made that payment and you're not going to lose your house if you've maintain that mortgage payment and the renewal on it is not going to be that difficult. Sorry, one more thing. Yeah, sorry. And, and you know, very occasionally, you know, if you are close to renewing your mortgage um, and you do have um, unsecured debt, that's a great time to go and see a trustee because, you know, you can renew your mortgage, say, for five years and then go and take, file yourself a five-year proposal and the two will run concurrently. So, yeah. Perfect. Um, okay, so number eight. David, I'm going to go to you again. Um, I can't include my student loans in a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. Okay, so student loans is a, what we call a special debt, or at least that's what I call it, um, because there are different rules that govern student loan debt. And the straight and narrow of it is simply this. If you have been out of school for more than seven years, you can include your student loan debt. Now, there's timing issues with respect to that. So say, for instance, you last attended school on the 7th of April. Well, it's not seven years from the 7th of April because typically the government takes it to the last day of the month. 
So it's usually the last day of the month in which you were in school. So if you want to go and file a bankruptcy, then you better file it on May 1st, <laughs> seven years from the date of April 30th, using the example okay. that I've had, where it gets really, really tricky. And there's different jurisprudence on it. In fact, I just read an article on it the other day is there's something called multiple dates when it comes to student loans. And that simply refers to the fact where you say you got a student loan to go to McMaster for business. And you took a two-year program and you struggled or you just realized it wasn't for you and you left school. And then, you know, eight years later, you decide to go back to university. So now you're past seven years, but you've gone back in the eighth year and you want to take nursing. Well, some have argued, and in some cases successfully, that, you know, when I go back to school for nursing, it had nothing to do with my business degree more than seven years ago, so that student loan, I should be able to file a proposal or a bankruptcy on. Well, unfortunately, this is where it gets great because a lot of places are saying, no, it's seven years from the last time you were in school, regardless of what topic you were taking. So it's flip-flop back and forth. And that's, again, why it's really important to talk to an LIT because those rules change all the time based on government rulings or court rulings. And the jurisprudence changes on a regular basis because there was a period of time where we operated not on the multiple date thing where we said, no, if you had nothing to do with the prior loan, then yeah, you can go bankrupt on that student loan. Well, now it's a little bit more great because there's been recent rulings saying, nope, that doesn't rule doesn't apply anymore. So typically, if you have been out of school for more than seven years and you haven't gone back to school, then yes, that debt can be included in a student loan in a bankruptcy. But here's one thing to remember, and this is where sometimes it also gets a little tricky. If it's a federal student loan, so a national student loan, even though you may have gone bankrupt or filed a proposal that has taken care of it because it's more than seven years old, We've had stories where Canada Revenue Agency has decided to keep your tax refunds against that debt. And then it becomes a little bit of a battle to try and get that back for you. So just be cognizant of that potential issue. And I, when you know the individuals come in and talk to me, I always say to them, be, be aware of it in case it happens. If it does, let us know. You know. We'll go to bat for you. We'll try and send the proper documents and get that refunded to you. But that's just something to be aware of. Yeah, and just um, it's also if it's if it's more than five years. So if you've been out of school for more than five years before you file your bankruptcy or proposal from the last day you attended school or did your last exam, but less than seven years. Uh, once you get discharged um, from your bankruptcy or the proposal is finished, uh, you can actually apply to court under certain hardship provisions. And it's not a given, but um, if you can show that the uh, registrar or the or the, um, the judge that you uh, you're not working in the same um, industry that you studied in and you know you have no chance of paying back your student debt then sometimes they will discharge it for you as well so you know when the government look at student debt um, uh, they once said to me you know they're investing in the future in that person's future and you know the idea is they're going to get themselves a university degree get a better job and then have the money to pay them back in the future so that's the whole premise behind it but you know a lot of times Tara you know for one reason or another they don't end up working in the profession that they've studied in, right? And they don't get the benefits of that. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And David, is there any other options for student loan assistance? 
Well, you can um, rely on whatever the government allows you, um, you know, for relief assistance, um, non-payment assistance. Um, there's a whole slew of them. Um, you know, you just go to the, the whatever the, the ministry, the uh, provincial student loan site, or even the federal, um, and avail yourselves of that. Um, we do a financial literacy presentation where we talk about student loan debt. And one thing we always stress is, you know, when you start school and you have student loan debt, you need to be thinking about how you're going to, you know, effectively try and repay that back. Unfortunately, the statistics are so overwhelming. I think the last stat I saw said that if you have student loan debt, the average student that graduates has about $30,000 worth of debt that they have to repay back. And if you don't have a decent job or if you don't have income that exceeds your expenses at a reasonable amount, how on earth are you even possibly able to do that? So, you know, ask for, you know, Familiarize yourself with all of those government assistance programs to, you know, take advantage of them as, as much as you can. The one thing you need to be aware of is whatever one you um, apply for, make sure that, you know, if it's, you know, suspension of payment or whatever, that they also suspend the interest payments. Now, I know with COVID, the government has enacted different rules right now um, that basically has um, alleviated that. But like everything else, once they get out of this COVID panic, as I call it, <laughs> the old rules may come back and you just got to make sure that, you know, whatever you're being charged is, is the right amount. And yeah, and just as a as an epilogue to that, uh, David, you know, just if people are listening, they do have debt and part of that is student debt. You can still file a consumer proposal for all of your debts. And what will happen is the trustee through the uh, proposal mechanism will pay back part of your debt for you to the student loans. And, and the, bit that, that is less, you know, the bit that's left, because the debt was less than seven years old, you can take care of that yourself. It doesn't prohibit you from filing. So, you know, it's still an option available to people. Um, again, it depends on your circumstance. So again, reach out to a trustee so we can evaluate your unique circumstances for you and give you some advice on that. Yeah, and that's a good point to point out is just because you have other debt and your student loan debt isn't forgiven does not preclude you from filing or availing yourselves of a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal option. But an LIT can, can explain how both of those work at the same time. So that is a really good point. Perfect. All right, we're almost at the last one. So we're at number nine now. And Jeff, I'm going to go to you. Um, I can't include income tax debt in a consumer proposal or bankruptcy? So, yeah, this is a huge question at the moment, Tara. And the reason is because, <laughs> you know, the government, 9 million people claimed a cert benefit in 2019. And, you know, and again in 2020, and which is an untaxed benefit. So that's, un so a lot of people now are having tax debt um, that they didn't have before. And, you know, it may not be a high tax debt from a, from a dollar perspective, but it may just be that amount of debt that pushes, that breaks the, breaks the camel's back. So um, the answer is generally, yes, income tax debt is the same as ordinary creditor. It's treated the same as a credit card or, um, or, or a loan or a bank loan. It is included in a bankruptcy and it is included in a proposal. And the government, yes, they will accept a, a settlement in a proposal and write the debt off in a bankruptcy. Now, I'm going to ask a question because this was asked of me by a friend the other day. Um, and it came to mind because it has to deal with tax debt. So... Um, when you're doing consumer proposal, you go to all the creditors and you ask them to accept the proposal. If the CRA does not respond and the proposal goes forward, can CRA come back to you and take the money? No, no. so they're treated the same as any other creditor. So in a consumer proposal, there's a statutory voting period. It's 45 days. 
So at the end of the 45 days as trustees, we count the, uh, the claims that we've received and a claim has a vote attached to it. So as long as we receive majority in terms of dollar value of the votes that we receive in favor of the proposal, then all the creditors are bound by the terms of that proposal. 15 days later, once it goes court approval, and that includes the Canadian Revenue Agency. So yeah, if they don't vote and uh, we get enough votes in favor, then they are bound by the terms, absolutely. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, Tara, because a lot of people think that if I owe $20,000 in credit card debt and the government is owed 10 grand in uh, back taxes, well, if you file a proposal and the 20, as Jeff alluded to, all vote yes, even if CRA votes no for their 10, because the 20 voted yes, CRA's 10 has to be included in that. So they're bound by the law to be part of that proposal, even though they voted no. So that's something to remember. Now, where it gets difficult is if CRA is the 20 and they <laughs> voted no. Now they control that process. And I think it's important at this stage to differentiate between what I call the three key uh, CRA tax debts. You've got income tax, obviously, which is personal. If you are a sole prop or you're a director of a business and you have HST potential liability, that's a different sort of debt. Or the worst kind is if you have payroll source deductions, which means you withheld uh, income at source and you didn't remit it to the government. That's a really, really strong tax debt that the government isn't going to ignore. And a lot of times people come to us and they owe tax debt. It could be one of the three, it could be a combination of the three. The important thing is you get to us before the government actually places a lien on your home for that debt. Because once the lien goes on there, it's a secured debt and you're stuck with it. So if you're struggling with that, don't wait for the, to come see us until after that lien is placed. Because once that lien is on there, it's really, really difficult to get rid of. Now there are tools, in it, but they're really hard to use. If you're struggling with tax debt, any of those three, get to us in the early stages so that we can beat the lean on any property that you may have. Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, David mentioned a good point. If all you do is owe income tax. So, you know, you have, you say you're self-employed and you've got outstanding returns and you file your returns and your accountant says to you, you know, John, your, your, your tax return, your tax bill is huge, right? And you can't afford to pay it. Then we can still file a proposal for you. Um, it, it is more negotiation with the Canada Revenue Agency, but absolutely we do it all day long and it is possible. So as trustees, you know, we have a good relationship with the individuals in the government, especially specific government departments, they're insolvency group. And, uh, you know, we can have those one-on-one -on -one conversations and get an agreement in place that, you know, that works for you because they're not, you know, they want to see you succeed, succeed as well. So they're looking for, you know, how can they recover some of their tax and you can continue obviously working and supporting yourself. So there is one um, one different type of tax um, uh, bankruptcy, if you like. If you um, unfortunate enough to owe more than $200,000 in unpaid income tax, then that does have special rules. Most people don't get to that level, obviously. But um, if it is that high, and, and it's the majority of your debt, which means more than 75%, then there's an automatic uh, what we call opposition for that. And you know, if you are on that level, again, talk to a trustee, who will advise you on the best way to deal with it. Perfect. All right. And number 10, we're closing her out. Jeff, this one goes to you. And I'm glad this is the last one because it kind of wraps up everything we've said and makes it very clear. Here's the myth. A licensed insolvency trustee works for my creditors. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, it is a myth. So, and we're in a unique position because a trustee is a court officer, all right? So what that means is we sit in this position between the creditors, so the money, people you owe money to, and the debtor is the person that will come and see us. And our job is to make sure that everyone's dealt with fairly. So the, the credit, the debtor is dealt with fairly, um, that, you know, they're, that they, they're dealt with correctly under the Insolvency Act. They receive the protection that they deserve. Um, and from a creditor's perspective, that, you know, they receive the return that would be allowed to them under either the calculation under a bankruptcy or, you know, in terms of a proposal, what the what the debtor can reasonably afford to pay back. OK, so, um, you know, someone coming to see us might say, well, we're paying you. We're paying you. We, you know, you're our client. Well, that's actually no. Um, you know, you're paying someone to really act as a sort of mediator, a legal mediator in the middle to make sure that, you know, the, the act is. Is, is you know it's transparent because you know you've got to remember money's a dirty business right and the government are very aware of that and so you know as, as government licensed trustees and there's only a thousand in canada so you know it's, it's a pretty unique um position um that you know they want to make sure that you know the, the, the people are dealt with um according to spirit of the act which to help which is to help unfortunate debtors rehabilitate and that's the prime focus of what we do we help people and, and make sure that they're dealt with fairly yeah, so and and just exactly right. You know, we're in that unique position. And I always use a fence analogy when I say that, because as officers of the court, we represent the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act. And the debtors sit on one side of the fence and the creditors sit on the other side. Both parties have rights given to them by this act. Our job is to make sure that they avail themselves or at least are aware of those rights. That's our duty to you. But when you come in and see us, you don't know anything about the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act. So our job is to help you understand that, to know what your rights and the things that you can do legally to take care of this. That's our job. So when you come in and see us, we're making you aware of all of that stuff. And then when we take that information, we file it and we give that information to the creditors, the creditors come to us for a question. Our job is to make sure that they get the information that they're entitled to receive so it's not we're out there working for the creditors to get as much as possible out of you for them no our job is to make sure that both parties both sides avail themselves of the act the way the act is intended to represent both sides so that both sides are treated fairly so i know a lot of our non-licensed insolvency trustees you know use that phrase and throw it out there to you know try and steal work away from us to say you know don't go see an LIT because all they do is work for the creditors. No, that is completely untrue. Our job is even greater than that because we have a fiduciary and an obligation and a duty. You know, we're governed by the act. We're licensed by the federal government. We have professional codes of conduct. If you go see somebody who's not an LIT, ask them those questions. Where's your professional code of conduct? Who do you answer to? Are you licensed by the federal government to do this? And you're going to get no, no, no to all of those, or they won't give you a straight answer. That tells you all you need to know. So when somebody says that about us, um, it bothers me because that's not our role. And I love so. the analogy you use because, you know, fences make good neighbors. There you go. <laughs> so thank you both. I'm going to, before we go, I am going to see, is there any myth that either of you have heard that we didn't touch on today that you want to debunk? Jeff, I'm going to let you go first. Um, you, you know, I won't call it a myth, Tara, but I'm going to say to you, 
almost every person that comes to see me says, Jeff, I wish I'd come to see you two years ago. And, you know, and it's not a myth, but it's a fact. And, you know, human nature, if you're in debt, you know, and you're struggling and, you know, lots of people are struggling right now because of COVID, um, you know, the, the natural, um, your natural um, strive is to try and fix it yourself. But, you know, sometimes you're in what we call it a debt spiral where, you know, the interest gets so high that you just can't pay back any of the capital and you're never going to get out of debt. We've all seen our credit card statements that says, you know, minimum payments you paid off in 35 years or whatever. So, you know, um, I would say, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's nothing to be ashamed of, right? You know, it's just things that happen to people. Um, you know, if you really just, if you, not even you think you need help, just want to have a quick chat about anything, credit reporting, um, you know, back budgeting, reach out to a professional, such as the licensed insolvency trust, of course, which we are, um, and just get some free advice because, you know, you may find it's the best phone call you made all year, really. And, you know, and if you do need, really do need help, then again, you're the right place to get the help. Yep. Just like life happens, debt happens. Yeah. And David, what about you? I there's not much really I can add on to it. The the ten myths that we touched upon, and I think we may have strayed from it a little bit and added a few in there, are really the key big ones. Um, as Jeff pointed out, I think the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is actually reaching out for help. I think the key there is to make sure you're reaching out to the right professional to get the right information so that you can decide what makes the most sense for you. Um, and the sooner you do it, the better. Because the sooner you do it, the more options we're going to have and the more time we're going to have to, you know, analyze it, structure it and put the right things in place. If you wait till the very end and in some worst case scenarios, exhausts all personal resources as just alluded to. Well, maybe if you'd come to us at the very beginning, we could have figured out a way. And again, through legal means that you don't have to exhaust all of your resources. In fact, you can keep some of them and still be able to get rid of your debt, wouldn't that have been better than trying to do everything on your own, lose everything, and then be left with no options whatsoever? So, you know, I always stress that if you think you're struggling, talk to us, we'll give you the right information, and then you can decide what makes the best sense for you, because we'll explain all of those things to you in a fashion that you'll understand, almost Cole's Notes versions, for lack of a better description. <laughs> Right. So, you know, that's our job. And Jeff is absolutely right. People are saying, you know, I wish I'd talked to you sooner. I wish I'd done this sooner. You know, it would have been so much easier in my last, you know, year or two years of my life. You know, I could have been rebuilding instead of struggling. Yeah. And actually, David, I was going to throw out something that's coming to my head there. Pension funds. If you've got pension funds, don't withdraw your pension mm. funds to pay off your debt. Um, go and see a trustee because, you know, that's also an exempt asset by and large. And, um, you know, what you don't want to do is, ruin your financial future when you retire to try and become debt-free now. So, you know, all sorts of reasons is to reach out, Tara. And, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's the problem. Perfect. Thank you so much, both of you, for sitting down with me today. I can't wait to do it again. It was really fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. Once again, I want to thank my guests, BDO License Insolvency Trustees, David Naranya and Jeff Lewis, for taking part in this two-part series, 10 Debt Myths Debunked. If you are looking for more financial wellness podcasts, videos, debt management resources, and tools, please visit our website, debtsolutions.bdo.ca. And remember, we are here to help you turn the page on debt. Your next chapter is waiting. <laughs>